Ahoy, Buck fans! Are ye looking for a different kind of podcast that centers on the yellow-bellied opponents? Well, you've come to the right place. Get ready for an enjoyable, in-depth look back at the important moments, historical facts, and games for the Buccaneers against this week's opposition. It's the No Quarter Given podcast on the BuckPower.com podcast network. Now, let's get started with your co-hosts, Jason Powers and Peter Blake. Week number five of the National Football League. You are here for the No Quarter Given podcast, where we take a look at the Buccaneers' weekly opponent. This week, it's the Miami Dolphins. Before we get to the Dolphins, we are going to review some little event up in New England last week. I don't even, Peter, I don't even know what it is. Some little thing they called a game up in Foxborough. Yeah, one of the most hype games uh, in the last, I don't know, 10 years, but actually the second highest rated Sunday night football game, the New England Patriots versus Tom Brady coming back to Foxborough to face Bill Belichick. So, yes, it was. uh, I don't I think it lived up to the hype. I just don't think it was necessarily the prettiest game, if you will. 19 to 17. Bucks victory, of course. Ryan suck up with the go-ahead field goal. Nick Folk with the doink, which I think is ironic because, of course, going back to what we talked about the Patriots last week on the podcast, and we talked about 2017 where Folk missed three field goals, and you were told me Folk is about to basically make this field goal, and I was like, no way, he's not going to make this field goal. And he didn't, and the Bucks win 19 to 17. So everybody went home happy. You are hearing the voice of co- my co-host, our co-host of the podcast, Peter Blake of the Sports Web. Peter's uh, does a great job with his show. He just got done doing his show tonight. And how'd the show go? Show went good. Uh, we were recapping the uh, Bucks Patriots with the legend himself, Mr. Leo Haggerty. We talked with Des Walker of the Chuck Smith. Uh, systems. He was talking about Joe Tryon and Shaq Baird in that Bucks defensive line. And we had Harry the Greek uh, who does some uh, professional handicapping. So we had a, a cornucopia, if you will, Leo word of uh, subjects to talk about on the evolution of sports talk television live on NSPN. And of course, I love St. Pete. And remember, Peter and I do pregame uh, halftime uh, Buccaneers, uh, all Buccaneers, not, not every single Buccaneer game, but we've been doing every game so far this year. Sundays at Duckies on Kennedy Boulevard and over in Tampa. Peter's doing a great job with the setup with the uh, the pregame show. We usually go about an hour and a half to two hours pregame. We got an early, finally have an early start this week, Peter. One o'clock start here with the, with the Dolphins coming to town. And uh, let's before we get to the Dolphins, let's do a quick little review of the, of the Patriots game. Obviously, you gave the the synopsis of the event. What were your, just your thoughts of the whole, just the whole hype leading up to the event with Brady, with Belichick, with all the hype with NBC, all the pregame shows from all the networks were there on Sunday, NFL Network, ESPN Countdown, CBS, just your thoughts on all the pregame hype. Well, it was all hype because what you learn is that first after the game, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, they kind of did like a bro hug, if you will. And then what you come to find out is that Belichick went into enemy territory and was talking to Brady at the Bucks locker room for about 20 minutes. So maybe that relationship isn't as fractured as we originally thought. But 
The game itself, Tom Brady definitely was a little bit off. Was that because of the interior pressure by Belichick? Was it because of the rain? He was up on his throws a little bit. But the Bucs incorporated the running game that night. Leonard Fournette, 20 carries for 91 yards. Good for Lombardi. Lenny, Ronald Jones, the victim of volume, uh, scored a touchdown. So the running game was there. The balance was there. And the defense showed up big. Four sacks, including Joe Tryon, who may be rookie of the week. So uh, a pretty good night overall with all the injuries. And special teams were terrific, too. Stuck up with a bunch of field goals in the weather. That weather was on and off, raining, heavy rain, sideways. So yeah. great job by Sutton. He, he missed a shorter field goal early, but he was so clutch late in the game, hitting the 48-yarder when it met, when it m- mattered most. Yeah, no, absolutely, and you need that. And, and here's the player that earned an extension, and the reason why it was 90% with his field goals last year, so he definitely came through. And I put that on my Facebook post. That's the reason why Suckup is here and Folk is not. And people were like, well, you know, Folk's been a good kicker. Well, he wasn't a good kicker here. Uh, and he showed on Sunday night that he couldn't kick from 56 yards. But you know, Richard Sherman playing most of the game. Yeah. A little rusty, but still led the Bucks in tackles. You lose Carlton Davis with possibly a serious injury. Now you have Jamel Dean Davis. Yep. And of course, uh, Sean Murphy bunting. So we'll see how that all works out. But uh, overall, Bucks still getting it done with the massive amount of injuries on both sides of the ball, including Gronkowski. I want to ask you, did you think that offense was a little bit off without Gronkowski on Sunday night? I thought it was. I mean, a little bit, but I would say this. Tom was victimized a little bit by a couple drops. Evans dropped the ball, would have been, would have been first and goal on the five-yard line. Cam Brake dropped about a 20-yard seam ball right in his hands. If the Bucks catch those two balls, they got a little unlucky with the review. That was a catch fumble that the Bucks picked up. They got overturned, so they got a little unlucky there. I think if that game is in clear, is in dry weather, I think the the offense is much more efficient. And it's to be expected when it's wet out. You're a little more cautious. You're a little more worried about your footing, and you get a little lackadaisical sometimes with your with your concentration. That's all I think it was with the Buccaneers. I don't think the Patriots really shut down the Bucks more than. You know, I think the Buccaneers just made a couple of errors at some key moments, which caused them to have to punt the ball away. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of uh, lackadaisical, if you will, I thought the refereeing crew was lackadaisical, especially with missing the false start by the Patriots later on in the game. And I don't know what Jason Powers a catches anymore. Right. Uh, you make a football move. You eat a you eat uh, for lunch for a picnic. I mean, you got two feet down. The ball comes out. That should be a fumble. Why is that overruled? I have no idea. That could have definitely swayed the game because if you give Tom Brady a short field, he's definitely going to make you pay. But at the end of the day, give credit to where credit is due. Bill Belichick had this team ready, especially this defense ready. And the young rookie, Mac Jones, played pretty well. 275 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. But, you know, overall, he he didn't look like a rookie quarterback. He looked like... Uh, he was making all the throws they wanted him to make. They were limiting the playbook. And, of course, it doesn't help with all the Bucks injuries in that back end. So it definitely helped Jones's cause. And like you and I talked about, and I mentioned this to, to you on our pregame show at Duckies, the Patriots emptied out the playbook. They, two, they ran two trick plays that were both successful, big plays. They, you know, so, you know, we talked about that in the pregame that I thought the Patriots would try to, trick it up a little bit with the bucks and both of them were effective and both of them were successful, both trick plays they ran. 
Yeah, Jacoby Myers was definitely dangerous. He can throw a ball and also he can catch him eight for 70 yards. So yeah. they had some problems there. You know, you were you were a little bit, you were sweating a little bit, but once again, you have Tom Brady at the controls. He's at Foxborough. You know, more than likely have a great shot to win. And of course, the Bucs took care of business on Sunday night. All right, let's move on to the Miami. The Bucs moved to three and one. The one and three Miami Dolphins are coming to Raymond James Stadium this Sunday. The Dolphins have really been in a free fall after their week one win in New England, uh, of all places. They've lost three in a row. Two is still out. Jacoby Brissett playing quarterback for the Dolphins, not been very effective. The defense hasn't been great since week one as well. The Colts beat the Dolphins down in Miami over the weekend to put, take send the Dolphins to one and three. A lot of speculation about, you know, haywire, things are going haywire in Miami. Yeah, I mean, you would expect with Tua being healthy and what he showed against the Patriots, you were like, you know what? This kid is finally going to get it. This offense is definitely uh, going to be a lot better. Of course, the defense is in place. I don't know what's happened to this team. I honestly don't know what the Dolphins are. I'm surprised they lost to the Colts with Carson Wentz and his you know, two uh, injured ankles. I mean, I, I could not believe they lost to the Colts, but they did. And this team has to feel like right now, uh, I don't know what they feel like, but you're coming uh, to a place like Raymond James Stadium. Who knows what the weather is going to be like. You, you feel like it'll be better than New England, right? And you got Tom Brady. So they got a challenge and they're most likely going to try to present the best challenge for this Tom Brady-led offense. But uh, the Dolphins in general have been a shock to me. Very much of a disappointment this year. Yeah, it's not that they lost. I mean, sure, that they lost to the Colts wasn't good, but they were manhandled by the Colts. They were down big in that game. They yeah. they rallied a little bit late to get it close, but just not enough. And, again, I just don't think Jacoby – say what you want about uh, Tua. Jacoby Brissett's not a big-time quarterback. He's a backup for a reason. You know, they, they still don't have the quarterback situation solved. It doesn't look like. And there's more and more chatter that eventually they're going to pull the trigger for Deshaun Watson. Yeah, and you pull the trigger for Deshaun Watson, you basically admit that Tua is a bust at that point. And him coming out of Alabama, I was never a, a big-time fan of him because there were red flags out there, Jason Powers, of you know his injuries, leg injuries, hip injuries. Uh, and once again, now he's injured once again. And uh, you have you know Watson there with his off-the-field issues. So I, I'm not really sure what the Dolphins are going to do at this point, but I feel like they are one quarterback away from being a pretty good team. And I don't think Jacoby Brissett is the answer, but he is mobile and he may be able to give this defense some type of problem. You would hope that the Buccaneers would not overlook the Miami Dolphins because of course, after this, they have the Thursday night game versus the Philadelphia Eagles. And as I was talking about on the sports web, you look at this team, you see one and three, maybe you overlook them, but at the end of the day, you're going to get the best effort from every team because you are the Super Bowl champions. And it will be interesting to see what the, the emotional effect of the Buccaneers are this week and the emotional game in Foxborough. A lot of times the team comes off of that game and they're a little flat the next game for a quarter or a half. And plus, here's another thing about this matchup this week. The, the Dolphins know Tom Brady very well with his all his time in New England, obviously. They've, and they've had some success against Tom Brady. That defense, Brian Flores, former Patriot coach, knows Brady, tendencies, things like that. So, and the Dolphins have had some success against Tom Brady. Yeah, and they had a slow start versus the Patriots. They were down in halftime seven to six. It's not a big deal, but you can't get off to a slow start and let a team hang around because if you do, then bad stuff can happen. So hopefully the Bucs are buttoned up and ready to go 
versus the one and three Miami Dolphins. Still surprising to say that. Yeah, the Bucks come in as a, like a 10-point favorite, so a heavy favorite coming into Sunday. All right, let's go back in the past. Let's go relive some past Miami Dolphins Buccaneer matchups. The Bucks lead the all-time series 6-5 in the regular season. They've, they've won five out of the last six meetings. They've played a ton of games in the preseason, which we're not going to talk about preseason games, but with the natural geographic region, with them being an AFC team, it's a natural, natural thing for us to play the Dolphins pretty regularly. I think we've played them like 30 times, over 30 times in the preseason, which over the course of the Buccaneers' existence, that's virtually at least every other year at minimum and many times every year that they played in the preseason. Yeah, preseason, it's just preseason. It's usually the first two games, which uh, you usually don't see a lot of the uh, first-team starters. You usually see the second and third stringers. So I, I've been there before. You open them with against the Miami Dolphins, and you have an impressive performance, and then you think everything's going to go well. And then, of course, the season doesn't necessarily turn out that way. So, yes, they played a lot in the preseason. The regular season, totally different story. First ever meeting with the Bucks and the Dolphins was, was in 76. The, the, the highlight of this game was people remember Buccaneer lore. Parnell Dickerson made his one and only start as a quarterback for the Buccaneers. Got injured early, obviously. Um, so Parnell Dickerson, a lot of people remember that name from the Tampa Bay area. He had a lot of, a lot of hope and people thought he had a lot of potential, but he had his one and only start with the Buccaneers. Got hurt early. The Bucs lose a close one. Lose, I think it's 23-20. You know, Garrow, the former future Buck Garrow, your premium was in that game, the famous kicker from back in the day with the Dolphins. So, you know, the Bucks could have broken the expansion losing streak early had they had they beaten that Dolphins early in that 76 season. Yeah, it would have been nice. Uh, but of <laughs> course, uh didn't necessarily happen that way. Uh, because yep. they weren't good enough. They weren't good at all, not one bit. So them being close with the Miami Dolphins. It tells you everything you need to know. The Dolphins, of course, were on their way down after uh, all their winning ways uh, in the 70s, it seemed like, I guess. so. Uh, and yeah. they didn't start winning again until Dan Marino came to uh, fruition. Right. Early 80s, the Bucks play a Monday night game at Tampa Stadium against the Dolphins in 82. The key moment of this game was off the field. Our, our beloved BuckPower.com on the podcast network, Paul Stewart, the founder of buckpower.com. This is where he got introduced to American football in this 1982 game. And he said to us, had the Bucks lost, he probably would have been a Dolphin fan and it would have been called dolphinpower.com and not buckpower.com. <laughs> That's great. I tell you right now, Paul is unbelievable, unbelievable website, buckpower.com. You go in there, you relive some of the great buck memories, some even some of the bad buck games you forgot about, you can always go in there and look at the uh, teams that they lost to. And of course he has every game, every statistic, every player that was ever drafted in Tampa Bay Buccaneer history. Paul Stewart, you do a hell of a job. Talked to him the other day. Uh, he can't wait to get down here. We're all going to hang out somewhere down here in Clearwater. Uh, you'll maybe have a couple beers. I'm not really a drinker, but I will drink maybe one with them. Try right. Maybe some chicken wings, maybe some fish or something like that. So he's coming. Remember he's coming for the giants Monday night game later in November. Well, sounds good. That's another primetime game. Can we get away from the primetime games? 
because we can't do the post game show because if we do the post game show, they're kicking us out of there. Yeah. So we had to pack up the other night. We couldn't stay, but you like to stay and, you know, get the reaction of course, but those post game shows, you know, they last sometimes 1230, one o'clock yeah. at night. So, uh, and I, I know Paul's not going to necessarily be used to the time difference because he was staying up late to, Watch the game the other night versus the Patriots. He was telling me about your boy it, so. Paul. He, I can, I can promise you, Paul knows how to put put a couple cocktails back. He'll be able to stay up just fine late <laughs> for the night. Those those English guys, they know how to they know how to uh, keep the party going. He definitely does. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> 1985, one Dan Marino and Don Shula beat the Buccaneers in a 41-38 shootout. The highlight of this game, Jimmy Giles, our beloved tight end from the 80s, scores four touchdowns receiving in the game from Steve DeBerg just before Vinny Testaverde gets to town, 1985. Dan Marino lights up the Buccaneers for 41. Shocker. Uh, Dan Marino <laughs> and this series uh, most likely dominated the Bucs because uh, defensively they weren't good. Offensively they weren't good. But, of course, you had Jimmy Giles, Steve DeBerg, so it gave, it, it gave you a glimmer of hope, if you will. Meeting Jimmy Giles a long time ago at the radio station. Unbelievable man. Uh, uh, good for him going into the uh, Bucks ring of honor. And he put up some big-time numbers, especially, of course, with Doug Williams. And now you talk about Steve DeBerg. So highly productive tight end in uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneer history. And he still lives in the Tampa Bay area. He's very involved in the high school football scene in, the in Tampa. I, I've seen him at many uh, high school football games over at Tampa Catholic High School. He's, and he's, he's been in this community for, hell, 40 years probably, if not longer than that. So Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy, yep, and Jimmy's been here most of his life, so especially after his playing career. So 1991, the Bucks losing the Orange Bowl, 33-14. Again, a highlight off the field. A guy you and I both probably know and lots of our fans will remember of British descent. It was the day Freddie Mercury, lead singer of Queen, passed away that day in 1991 as the bucks go down in the orange bowl. Yeah, that's uh, definitely, definitely a tough day. That's for sure. Cause uh, great lead singer of queen, some great songs. We will rock you. Yeah. We are champions. I mean, classic Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, if you think of Wayne's world, you think of Bohemian Rhapsody before you think of Wayne's world, honestly. And you look at the impact of that song, and that band did it. It was what 20, 25 years later it was still on the charts when it came out. So just amazing music and amazing art and Freddie Mercury. What a showman. Yeah, absolutely. 1997, the 1997 games, a, a game that we're going to, that uh, Paul on his, on his podcast, the Buck power podcast, he is highlighting that game this week, talking all things, 1997 game. And we're going to, is we're going to, we're going to take a break here. One second, Peter. You're, we're going to go to my interview with TJ Reeves and Dave Moore. We're going to tell some stories about the 1997 game, but definitely in addition to this podcast, go find the Buck Power podcast where Paul Stewart relives the entire 1997 game in depth. And we'll be right. Hang on right here, here uh, Peter. We're going to go to TJ and my interview with TJ Reeves about the 1997 game. All right, without further ado, we are proud to welcome Uncle TJ from the Buccaneer Radio Network. We are going to tell a couple of stories from this 97 game that we've been referencing in the No Quarter Given podcast. 
and Uncle TJ is here with a couple of stories. Welcome back, TJ. So we're now so informal, I don't even get a last name. I love that. I love that about this. I love the No Quarter Given podcast going over the opponents. And let's be honest, there's not been very many good memories against the Miami Dolphins. Now, some of them recently, but when you're when you're talking about the all-time memory in this series, I don't know that you can beat the 97 game. Uh, just for the start of the season, the unbeaten year, the fact that Dan Marino's playing for the Dolphins, this is this is ideal. And I'm looking forward to reminiscing with you with a couple of stories. I promise I'm going to deliver here on No Quarter Given. And the reason I say Uncle TJ, because everybody in the Buccaneer fan nation knows TJ Reeves <laughs> from the sidelines. There's no last name needed. Exactly. You've Just been like with me and Tell the audience, how long have you been with the Buccaneer organization? This is the 17th year I've done the sideline role. I have been on and off the game broadcast for 21 total seasons. So yeah. I have been around. Are you trying to make me out to be old? I'm, I don't have the 36 years in that Mean Gene Deckerhoff uh, has in the Hall of Famer. But uh, he and I enjoy doing this along with Dave Moore. And I know we were trying to, to get 83 on this podcast because yes. he was part of that 97 turnaround in the pewter uniforms and part of that win over the Miami Dolphins to go four and oh. Uh, but I will stand in for him and tell you a couple of stories. So All right. one thing I don't think I've ever asked you this, and might as well ask it on the no quarter given podcast. How did you get the Buccaneer sideline job? That's a that's a great question. I bribed the right people and uh, <laughs> and, and called in the right favors. Uh, actually, I had done a bunch of different work in and around the Buccaneer broadcast, and the sideline job actually came open in 2005, and it came in combination with hosting John Gruden's radio show as well as a rotating player, a different player every week radio show. So the offer was all encompassing it was about three things at once it was so long ago that there really wasn't much on buccaneers.com to even right. do that's how that's how old i'm getting jason but that's that was the offer and so i have done that now since 2005 so this is year 17 of getting to be part of buccaneers radio and all that we do and one more thing before we get to the stories people don't realize back in 1997 it was a sunday night game correct yes and it wasn't it wasn't alan chris on nbc it was Vern lundquist and Pat, Pat Hayden, Hayden on, on TNT. On TNT, right. Because at this time period, they had split up the Sunday night game on cable. Yep. Remember now, for many years, ESPN had it exclusively, but they only did like the last eight games of the year. They didn't do the first eight. Mike Patrick, and, Joe Theismann. Yes. And then uh, TNT uh, came in, Turner came in with Vern Lundquist and Pat Hayden. And then eventually ESPN paid them enough money where they got all 16 games themselves. So you're right. This is, this is uh, Sunday night TNT football with, uh, with Vern Lundquist and Pat Hayden. And, and this is, I, 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 I got to tell you, I still remember a bunch about this game. Like it was yesterday. And I don't want to accept that it was 24 years ago at the time that we're you, taping. No quarter. You were games. a young man, my man, you were in your yeah, mid twenties living the dream in Tampa, Florida. I know. I know. So this is year two, I believe of Tony Dungy. Correct. They're on a big run to start the year. They start off with five and oh, this is the fifth game. This is the fourth game. Fourth the game. fifth game was the next week against Arizona. Okay. This is the that'll be your no quarter given next week. There's yep. a tease. Uh, well, actually, you're going by opponents, but the Arizona Correct. Cardinals were the uh, the fifth opponent. 
uh, that season. And uh, this this was Dan Marino and the Dolphins. I don't know if you – I haven't gotten to listen back because you're interviewing me before the podcast is released. Did you and Peter mention Warren Sapp did not play in this game? We did not. Warren Sapp ankle injury okay. is in street clothes on the sideline, and that was a big deal obviously, because the defense was just starting to come together and take the next steps. Uh, and, and Warren Sapp did not play in the Sunday night Miami game due to an ankle injury. I still remember him uh, standing over there with his Buccaneer T-shirt, shorts, and Air Jordan tennis shoes. And you're like, man, how much are they going to miss not having Big 99 in there? And remember, this is Jimmy Johnson coaching the Dolphins with That's Marino. Correct. That's correct. Jimmy All Johnson right. had come out of the Fox broadcast booth to coach the Miami Dolphins. Very true. Let's get to story number one. Let's go. Okay, so the play that uh, that, it, that that game is known for. I mean, there were a lot of different plays and yep. big moments in the game, but the play is the work done screen pass in the fourth quarter. So as you mentioned, uh, at this time, I was not on the game broadcast. I was working five-day-a-week sports radio in this town. I was on a media credential I was in the old Tampa Stadium press box, and there was overflow media for that night because of the Dolphins and Marino. So we weren't in the first level of the press box. We were up in the top of the press box, almost the crow's nest yep. for a lot of us in the overflow radio, extra TV, not the writers. The writers were so valued back in the uh, in the 90s. So we're up in the top of the press box of old school I, Tampa I, stadium, old, old school, school Tampa, Tampa stadium. stadium up and up in the top. All right. Uh, the walk with all the aluminum seats and no seat backs. Yeah. So when Warwick Dunn caught that screen pass, and again, you need to go to buckpower.com and relive the game. Like you've been promoting uh, with the Miami dolphins, Sunday night football, 1997, you'll see the Dunn screen pass from Trent Dilfer. When, when those blocks were thrown, uh, and I think Frank Middleton is one of the guys that got the block. I mean, they're perfect blocks to, to free up work done. And when he accelerates through the hole with a chance to score the clinching touchdown to basically put the game away, the Dolphins, the Dolphins hopes were being crushed right there on that play. And I, real I quick, cannot, real quick, I yeah. believe it was third and 28 or third and something long. like that. It something was like third that. and really long. And of course, Mike Shula is the play caller, the son of Don Shula. And he calls the screen pass, and it works to perfection with the lead blocks. Dunn has the seam. He's like lightning between the seam and to the sideline for a touchdown. And I exaggerate you not. When he broke free at about the 40 or the 30, the press box was shaking below us. Wow. I thought it might be a little rumble, a little earthquake. Uh, it was it's the first time I had ever experienced that at Tampa Stadium in any part of the stadium. And, and granted, we were about as high up as you could get um, in the stadium. It The floor was shaking below us when Warwick Dunn was running in the end zone. It was a wild thing that I obviously remember even to this day that uh, there have been loud moments in, in Tampa Stadium previously, loud moments obviously in Raymond James Stadium, but I will always remember Sunday night with the Dolphins when Warwick Dunn caught that ball because I don't know if they felt the rumble in other parts of Tampa Stadium or on Northdale Maybury or in the neighborhoods around Himes Avenue, Martin yep. Luther King, if they felt the rumble. But we felt the rumble in the press box when he scored. And needless to say, that was game over at that moment. And you're and your current and the current analyst for the Buccaneers, Dave Moore, he provided the last block, I believe, on that play that sealed the run for work done to get in the end zone. I think 83 was on the field. We got to find was. him. We got to ask was. him. That's what I got. So he was. He was out there on the field on that. 
Um, and, and again, Warwick was a special player. I, I remember Derek Brooks lobbied so hard for the Buccaneers to draft him in the first round after he played with him at Florida State. And that was his rookie year, by the way, right. 1997. Uh, what a coming out party. Um, I, I still remember that you remember the ad on ESPN TV when they were doing the ESPN magazine ad when ESPN <laughs> magazine had just come out and they, they were doing a spoof. And you had Warwick Dunn doing the famous sarcastic line, I'm not going to do cat fancy. He kept saying <laughs> that, I'm not going to do cat fancy, because they were trying to have him do cat fancy on the cover of ESPN, the magazine. It was all because of that. The Bucks have been on the cover of Sports Illustrated a couple of times. Yeah. I think after that Dolphin game, they were on it again. They were on it after the 49er game. I mean, that was a big deal. On the cover of ESPN, the magazine, they're talking about you all over the country on USA Today, ESPN. Again, the internet's not even really a big thing at this point. But it was it was wild. It was wild. Uh, so so yes, that's that's my story in the stadium. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's All right. So I, and I missed the one thing I really missed. I missed work done by one year at Florida State. He came in the year after I left. I got to play with Derek for a year. When Derek, me and Derek are, he's either one. I think worth actually. I think we're the exact same age. To be honest with you, we were the same class. And I remember Derek came into Florida State as like a two hundred pound linebacker. I mean, he was nothing. I mean, he, he was never the biggest guy in the world, even in the NFL, but he was like 200 pounds playing weak side linebacker at Florida State. And that was always the concern and the question as to whether or not he could succeed in the NFL at under 240. Because remember, most of the linebackers back in that day didn't run as much and were 240, 250. And Derek was coming in maybe 220, probably yeah, 215, best. trying to play linebacker. And Rich McKay and Tony Dungy, said to anybody that would listen in 95, 96, of course, he was here in 95 with Sam White before, but Tony Dungy in particular, 96, 97, this guy's as good as any linebacker in the league, tackling machine, Hall of Fame now. And so obviously they were right about it. Do you want one more story off yes. the Dolphin Buccaneer yes. game? Better than the ground rumbling under me in the press box. This is why you listen on No Quarter Given and make sure you subscribe. So my in-laws are the biggest homer die in the wool dolphin fans you can imagine and they have been living hard they have been they have been downtrodden the dolphins <laughs> have been down and out for a lot of years whenever we go to eat they love to eat at shula steakhouse and i always have to joke with them you know all the pictures around here are in black and white because the dolphins haven't done anything since color film that's what i have to tell them so anyway they're big time dolphin fans so my mother-in-law god love her she's beyond she was over the top at this point point. dan marino is her favorite guy you know she's got a dan marino uh, poster in her in her classroom as a teacher um dolphin shirts yeah, dolphin dolphin uh coffee Pom -poms, mug all everything. of it all of it so it, it got it, it got contentious in a good way between she and i and i'm talking about it on the radio and i even put her on the radio and we made a wager <laughs> that whoever won this game the other person was going to have to put the opposing shirt on every Sunday for the rest of the year. Wow. So keep in mind, I'm not working the game broadcast, but I'm potentially going to have to wear a Miami Dolphins shirt or jersey of her choosing. But if the Bucks won, it, she would have to wear a shirt of my choosing. So obviously, the done play happens. The work done play happens. The Bucks win the game late night, Sunday night. I come in and do Monday morning sports radio and get done. And I have a, bu a Buccaneer shirt that I purchased specifically for this, a white Buccaneer T-shirt that she's now going to have to wear. And unbeknownst to her, I leave the radio station after I'm done about 10.30 in the morning after I get off the air and go straight to her 
elementary school in Pinellas County where she is teaching grade school in Pinellas County. <laughs> I walk into the front office with the Buccaneer shirt. I say, I am here to see Mrs. Franklin. I am TJ Reeves. And as soon as I say TJ Reeves, I hear a voice down the hall from the office jump up and the voice yells out, I know who you are, and I'm taking you to her room. He <laughs> is the principal of the elementary school. The female principal of the elementary school is a huge Bucks fan. She is aware of the bet. She's been listening to the radio. It's not going to be a student that escorts me, Jason Powers. The principal is going to escort me to the room. So I come in the room, and my mother-in-law doesn't know that I'm showing up. She's in yeah. the middle of teaching. And the first thing is we knock, we knock on the door and, and it's the principal at the door. So she's got, Oh, uh Oh, who, what is, what have I done? The boss is here <laughs> and I'm behind the principal. Cause I'm tall, as you know, and I've got the shirt and we come in the classroom and I'm now showing you this yes. as best I can that I, can I presented my mother-in-law with a Buccaneer white t-shirt on the morning after that dolphin win she was the color of the Buccaneer red home jerseys for about 15 minutes. There you go. The principal's in the room. The principal is the one that took this picture with a disposable camera. No, <laughs> no flip phones in those days. No cell phone cameras in those days. That was, that was not even a digital camera. It was a disposable camera like you would buy at the drugstore or at Publix that took that picture. And we had to go get it developed like later in the day or the next day. No cell phone, no cell phone. Yes, nobody knows what we're talking about in the present day. This is what you had to do with pictures. So that is the story from that year and from that game of the morning after I presented my mother-in-law with the shirt she had to wear every Sunday for the rest of that year because the Buccaneers defeated the Miami Dolphins on Sunday night football. 1997, Jason Powers. All right, I'm going to ask you before I let you go, what you got to do is when we release the podcast – you need to retweet it and attach that picture. Take a picture with the cell phone <laughs> and attach the picture to the, to, yes. the, to the tweet so the whole world can see. So, so make sure they're following not only uh, Paul's uh, uh, Twitter handle, yep. which is BuckPowerC. Yep. Follow Jason, JPO Sports. Uh, Buck what is sideline guy. We're going to attach you to guys it. Me. Peter Blake's Twitter is, I think, P Blake, and it's 003, I think. Yeah, we'll, we'll have all the – yep, I'll attach so all We're going to get the photo up of me with my mother-in-law in 1997 because, believe me when I tell you, as obnoxious – and I love her to death, and she cooks for me and makes great desserts – as obnoxious as she had been about the Dolphins, no quarter given from her son-in-law about the T-shirt bet or the shirt bet and she had to wear a Buccaneer shirt the rest of the year because the Bucs won that game. So, yeah, we'll get the photo out on social media. Terrific stories. And the other <laughs> one, last thing, and I'll get you out of here. The community started to believe in Tony Dungy and the franchise again. We had gone through some oh, lean times. You win that kind of game against Miami on national TV. You establish yourself, hey, this team's coming. Well, and you had, you had beaten – uh, the San 49ers, Francisco. All right. In the opening game. Yep. And I believe you had beaten Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken, right after that in the 97 season division rival had beaten yep. Brad Johnson, by the way. Yes. Randy Moss in Minnesota. But this was Dan Marino, the Hall of Famer and the and the Bucks rarely, if ever, had beaten the Dolphins. I know you guys have been going over this when, by, when 1997 rolled around that you were the punching bag yep. for the Dolphins. 
So to win this game against Marino national TV on Sunday night football, you are right at that, that, at that time period, the Buccaneers owned this town. Tony Dungy had changed the culture in a season and four games, just like they changed the uniforms uh, at the start of the 97 season. So the, the lightning were struggling. The lightning right. weren't great at that time. The Rays so had not played a game yet. They yes. weren't in existence till 1998 the next year. Right. So the Bucks, the Bucks have always owned the town, the Tampa Bay area. They definitely own the town with the start of that year and the win over the Miami Dolphins on that Sunday night. Great job, TJ. Keep up the great work. Tell the audience where they can find you for Sunday's game. Listen, find us on Buccaneers Radio 98 Rock in the Tampa Bay area. You can find it on the Buccaneers mobile app in Florida. Find it through SiriusXM. Tune in wherever you can get it. And the Nothing But Bucks podcast. Even if you can't hear the radio broadcast, relive it all. Yes. Nothing But Bucks is the podcast. I give you inside analysis, game highlights with Gene and Dave calling plays, post-game interviews, find nothing but Bucks uh, through the Buccaneers mobile app and wherever you get podcasts, a plug for that as well. Always good to be with you, sir, and, check out and, and tell some quick, stories. Yeah, man. Those are the kind of stories we want to hear on No, no Quarter Given. <laughs> and check out the Powers on Sports podcast this week because TJ relives being in New England last weekend for the Patriots. Pre-game tribute, halftime Post game when Belichick came in the locker room. Uh Great stories TJ provides on that insight. So check out the Powers on Sports podcast. The only thing I can tell you is I'm talking to you more than I'm talking to my wife and twins, and that's going to (laughs) get me into trouble. But, yes, Powers on Sports, you'll find me there. And I love what you and Peter are doing with no quarter given and reminiscing about the big games and and the big moments. Uh, Love that here with this podcast. Happy to be on and help and reminisce about the Bucs. You're the man, TJ, and we're going back to relive more Miami Dolphin highlights. We'll be right back in just a second. There you have it. A great interview there with with TJ telling some great stories about the 1997 game. You know, lots of interesting work done with a big game. I believe that game was a Sunday night game. Was that a TNT Sunday night or is that ESPN? You had the great Vern Lundquist, who was known for what? Yes, sir. And well, he's also SEC broadcast and then Happy Gilmore. I mean, who the Masters. Could... Yep. Yep. I mean, unbelievable there. You had Pat Hayden and, of course, uh, Mark May. So, yeah, TNT. Sunday so, night. Yeah. Remember, they used to have the Sunday night package before yep. it went to NBC and all that and ESPN and all that good stuff. And it was yep. good stuff. The and classic Florida battle. The Dolphins coming here at Tampa. At, uh, I think they were, yeah, they're still at, no, Raymond James Stadium. New, they were they were still at, in Raymond, they had just got into Raymond James. No, 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 it was Houlihan Stadium. It was. Oh, my uh, bad, well, yeah, my bad. That's all right, 1997, that's okay, and it's a memorable year because you have work done, you have Mike Allstott, Riedel Anthony has a good year, Trent Dilfer, that's one of my favorite years of all time because uh, they start out, what, 5-0 and that year, and uh, they were Re- just- Tony Dungy really got the Bucks going north. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And it was uh thunder and lightning that year. Mike, I'll stop war done and Trent Dilfer playing well in that defense, getting after it, especially uh, Warren Sapp. 2005, Brian Greasy's the quarterback leads the Buccaneers to a 27, 13 win, obviously with the Bob Greasy and the Miami connections, you know, an, an emotional moment there for Brian beating his dad's team and all that stuff. 2005 kind of the getting towards the, 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 the tail end of the Gruden era when the right. team was kind of starting to go d- decline a little bit, but Br- Brian Greasy, I always thought Brian Greasy did a pretty good job as the Buccaneer quarterback. He was in a 
tough spot. Remember, Greasy is the guy that replaced John Elway in Denver. So all that pressure of him being the guy to replace Elway, he was in Denver a few years, and then he came to the Buccaneers with John Gruden. Yeah, you came here with John Gruden. Of course, uh, Gruden loved those veteran quarterbacks. And uh, Greasy had some good games. Uh, Joey Galloway throwing in 2005. That was the year they won their division and went to the playoffs. And, of course, got eliminated by the Washington football team at the time, the Redskins, in the first round. But 05 wasn't bad. That was Cadillac's uh, rookie year, by the way. Yep. And also, Brian Greasy, those of you that are watching Monday Night Football on ESPN, he's the analyst. He and Lewis Riddick and Steve Levy. I think Greasy. I think Greasy does a really good job. I like Greasy. He was a great college football analyst. I think he and Riddick and, and Steve Levy do a pretty good job on the Monday night games. I think they do a great job, and Lewis Riddick should be hired as a GM because the way he breaks down tape, the way yep. he breaks down players and talent overall, I definitely think it could translate uh, to an NFL franchise. Just saying, but yeah, they absolutely do a great job with some of the announcing teams they've had over the years. This is absolutely superior to some of those. <laughs> 2013, again, another Monday night game with the Oh, Dolphins. no, that was <laughs> – I never forget that because, you know, as a Bucks fan at that point, they're 0-8, okay? And you got Greg Schiano, and it's a complete disaster. And you're watching this team, and you're wanting them to lose every game so they can get the highest pick ever – and they decide, you know what? Monday Night Football, we're going to show some signs of life because there was talk that Buccaneer ownership at the time was talking to Lovey Smith. But if you show any signs of life, then people start to say, well, you know what? Maybe we'll give Greg Schiano another year. And it's like, no, no, no. Leave no doubt. Lose every game at this point. So Greg Schiano, he was a miserable coach back then. It was a miserable situation. Please let them lose every game. And, of course, they end up beating the Miami Dolphins on Monday Night Football. I remember it like it was yesterday. My question is, going into Shano's second year, we didn't have a good first year with Shano. What the hell are we doing on Monday Night Football with such a crappy record after the, the year before? How the hell are we getting on Monday Night Football? Well, you were 7-9, and nine, weren't you, the first year? Oh, that's right, Shano's first year. And so you're right, was there was lots of talk that the Bucks were going to be a playoff team that right. second year. But the problem was, you know, you traded for Darrell Revis, of yep. course, that year. And then also you had the Josh Freeman problems. You had Mercer Day. I mean, there were so many, there were so many stories off that year that you said, you know what? There, this ain't going to be right. This is going to be really, really bad. And you remember it started, started with Mercer and this and that. And mm -hmm. he traded for Darrell Revis. And you're like, maybe, maybe you fix that secondary with Darrell Revis. Yep. And of course, they lost the first game. I believe to the Jets, yeah, and it was Levante David taking a cheap shot at the quarterback, and I believe it was Geno Smith at the time. And this is why you got to go to BucksPower.com to make sure of this, but I believe it is. And then of course the Jets beat them with the field goal, and you know after that it was going all downhill. Josh Freeman was out of there; he's out right. of there like the middle of the year. You drafted Mike Glennon. There was talk that they were trying to trade for uh, Carson Palmer. Right. In that offseason. So it was it was just a disaster. And honestly, you never hope for your team to lose. But at that moment, to get all that stuff out of there, you hope for them to lose. And I, I'll never forget it. When they won, I was like, oh. Because <laughs> you know, you 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 watch the Bucks and you watch losing seasons. And you would always say, you know, this team is playing well. 
at the end of the year. So maybe we give the coach another chance. And then it turns out to be, you know, just the same thing over and over again. So you didn't want that situation to go over and over again. You didn't want to spin your wills. So you want to lose that game. And of course, you know, the Bucs couldn't do that. And I believe that was also the year where they had a big lead versus the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, and they blew it. They did a good job up there in Seattle by blowing that lead. I think it was like 24 nothing or something along those lines. And they blew and you, it. So. And you mentioned MRSA. That was the year we went out and spent a boatload of money on Carl Nix, yep. the big guard from New Orleans, who we thought, who was by all accounts, the best guard in football, the best free agent signing in football that year. And he plays maybe one game and he ends up with the turf toe and the MRSA issue. Yep. Lawrence Tynes, the kicker. From yep. the Giants that we brought in, had MRSA, ended up suing the team and suing the league and won a bunch of money because the Buccaneer locker room was a, you know, hazmat. You needed a hazmat suit to walk <laughs> in the Buccaneer <laughs> locker room in the right. training facility. Right. Uh, it was 2012. They went and they went on that big splurge with Vincent Jackson. And you remember Eric Wright, and he was a disaster. And it was one of the worst defenses, especially in that back end. It was terrible. Right. And you thought getting Darrell Revis with the trade, trading your first round pick, he wasn't fully healthy. He played okay. And then, of course, the very next year, Lovey Smith gets rid of him because you know why? He could not fit in the defense. And oh, by the way, he goes on to win, uh, what, a Super Bowl with the New England Patriots, fitting just fine. And he'll be in the Hall of Fame here real soon, the next couple yeah. of years. Oh, good job by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was just a weird time. It was. Especially in the, yeah, Mercer. What the hell is MRSA? You're right. Like, you had to wear a hazmat suit? I mean, Shiano, Shiano came in with the discipline from Rutgers. We all thought this is what the Buccaneers need is discipline, and he took it to an over-the-top level and pissed all the players off and was, you know, you, you remember the incident he had, obviously, early in his reign where he, when the kneel-down situation against the Giants, he's telling the Buccaneer guys, defensive yep. lineman, to hit the offensive lineman, and they yep. almost had a brawl in the middle of the field at the Meadowlands. Ridiculous, completely ridiculous. And uh, you get rid of LeGarrette Blunt, you get rid of Akeeb Talib, of course, eventually Freeman, because some of those guys were, you know, knuckleheads problems, right? But at the end of the day, they went to or other organizations and were highly productive. So you, you, you say, you know, all that talent the Bucks had back then, they let them go. What could have been if maybe you just gave them a chance, but it was all about Greg Schiano trying to uh, set the table, being. A Belichick uh, disciple. Right. And he, and everybody was selling that. He was a Belichick disciple. He's going to come in there and turn this team around, get rid of all this talent. And it was not to be. It was a complete disaster. Yeah. Shiano is very much a college. That kind of structure and discipline and, right. and militaristic type of attitude can work at the college level. Very difficult to, to work at the pro level when you have adult men. Before they were trying to hire Greg Schiano, what coach did they get turned down at the last minute? I was the coach. Tell me. Chip Kelly. That's right. That's right. Yep. And that's when he, yep, that's, you're right. That's, then he had all the success in Oregon. Yep. And Mark Dominic went to, was interviewing college guys, and they all thought the innovative offense of Chip Kelly might be the answer in the NFL. And, you know, Chip was probably a little bit ahead of his time. Because now, nowadays, every team in the league is using some spread offense, things like that, hurry-up offense that Chip Kelly made, made very famous at Oregon. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you were kind of getting excited about it because if Kelly came here, you had some great offensive system, like you said, success in college football. 
you know, kind of thinking outside of the box. It, it was kind of a, a shock that the Bucks were interested in him uh, because for so many years offensively, you know, they didn't have a lot of imagination. And now you get a coach that basically is all about it. And then you end up with freaking Greg Schiano. <laughs> I was like, who uh, the hell? when he got announced, I was like, who the hell is that? And it got announced on the radio station here, uh, 95.3, 620 WDAE at the time was 620. They announced in the morning. Who the hell is this guy? And it was yeah. just, give it a chance. He's from Miami. He's gonna bring in all these coaches. They had Butch Davis. And you're like, oh, okay, all right, maybe you know. And they got up to you know, okay, start the first year, and then right. it just went downhill slowly. It was just, it was terrible. Yep. Last meeting with the with the Dolphins was in 2017. The Bucks went 30 to 20 in South in in Miami. Dirt yeah. Cutters at the Dirt Cutter era. Jameis was here. They played well that day. Won 30 to 20. And again, let's get to the 2021 matchup Sunday afternoon, one o'clock. Is there any chance you see that the Buccaneers slip up, falter, have a lackadaisical start? Or do you think, I think with the, with the New England situation behind them, I think the Buccaneers are going to play a little more freer. And I think you're going to see the Bucs go this way, ascend the next four or five weeks with, with all the, just the freedom of not having to worry about this New England game any longer. Yeah, I mean, the Dolphins don't have a lot of weapons, if you will. You know, Miles Gaskin, maybe at the running back situation, that would probably give you. But uh, running game, uh, it's non-existent. I mean, you saw what they did against New England, holding them to minus one yard. So you're not worried about the running game. What you're worried about is Jacoby Brissett. You know, do they have anybody, Jason Powers, that really scares you on the outside? Not really. I mean, Mike Gazeki at tight end, he may cause some problems with you know, the linebacking crew having problems uh, with uh, coverage. Besides that, no, I think the Bucks should blow out this game. But every time we say that, Power Man, they continue to keep teams in there. So who the hell knows with all the injuries, you would think at Raymond James Stadium, you need to put up at least 30 or 40 points on them and, uh, you know, make this fan base happy because obviously – they think the Bucs should blow out every team, every game. And that's just not the National Football League. But you would think, look, they're a prideful bunch. You have Brian Flores, who worked with Tom Brady before, uh, defensive guy there with Bill Belichick. You know that they're going to give the best effort. But at the end of the day, it comes down to talent. And I feel like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a lot more talent than the Miami Dolphins. So I would expect them to win this game once again. And a blowout, but who knows? I'm with you. I think I think it'll be 10 to 14 points of you know 34, 20, 34, 21 kind of game. Yeah, I think the Dolphins may score late to make it 34, 21, but Bucks should win comfortably. And again, leading into a third, they got a Thursday night or a short turnaround that following week heading to Philadelphia. So um yeah. let's get to four and one, Pete, as we start the second quarter of the season. You know, you're listening to the Bucktower.com podcast network, the no quarter given podcast jason peter and before we go peter yeah i'm gonna give the audience and the fans a real-time update we are taping this on late tuesday night early wednesday the tampa bay rays will see the boston red sox in the divisional series as the yankees have been eliminated by the red sox in the al wild card your thoughts Yes, no Yankee baseball, no <laughs> Yankee talk, no Yankee fans. It's good for baseball. And I tell you right now, you would think, Jason, that it would favor the Rays, uh, you know, 100 wins. They home, home field advantage. Uh, it, to me, they got every opportunity. I didn't think they were going to go to the World Series. I'm still not sure, but they just continue to defy the odds. 
with a low salary, with a low payroll, with guys being injured, they just continue to win games. So why not us? Why not the Tampa Bay Rays in the World Series? So let's take care of business and let's beat those damn Boston Red Sox. Let's cap off Tampa Bay in yes. 2021, baby. Yes, and if you win a World Series, then maybe Tampa or St. Pete come together <laughs> and try to get a new stadium so we never have to talk about the stupid stadium situation again with Stu Sternberg. How about that? I got you. And I'm going to plug my podcast, the Powers on Sports Podcast. This week's episode, I have Steve Carney, the creator of St. Pete 9. He's a Rays insider, and that's what we talk about as part of our podcast. Are the Rays going to Montreal? We give you playoff previews. We break on all things Major League Baseball playoffs as we head into the baseball divisional round. Tell everybody where they can find Peter Blake on, on social media. Absolutely. NSPN, Next Gen Sports Media on Facebook. And, of course, uh, on I Love St. Pete on Facebook. It's the sports web, the evolution of sports talk television do three things for me if you don't know i'll go ahead and update you <laughs> bring your passion bring your excitement just don't bring any nonsense i'm your host peter blake giving you something to think about and we'll be at duckies this sunday remember if you're in the in tampa bay area come out to duckies they have all the nfl games we'll be there doing pre-game halftime post-game all things buck dolphins we give you live updates fantasy updates all things nfl at the pre-game show at duckies part of NSPN. Peter's the host. I'm just along for the ride. Try to try to offer some nuggets. Try oh, to you're, gr you're great. And we go back and forth, my friend. You're not sitting there just nodding your head agreeing with me, which yeah. I respect so totally. And when we, we got with our mutual friend, TJ Reeves, he was like, you know what? You guys will fit good together. And, and we do, man, we got great chemistry together. It's so much fun. Jason Powers to do uh, that pre and half game, especially when the games are going on, because you're like tapping me. You're like, I got an update. I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's talk about it. And it's just, it's so much fun. And so many things are going on and we, we won't have that this week because we have an early game. So we'll just be talking about the uh, NFL storylines. You know, what happens with urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Woo! Jaguars? Is there a possibility that they fire the guy for morale reasons of his contract? We'll see. But there's always a lot of things going on uh, on a Sunday and definitely tune in to NSPN. And I love St. Pete to see them with yours truly along with the power man himself, Jason Powers, Powers on Sports Podcast. And remember the NSPN and I love St. Peter on Facebook. So find those, find those uh, groups. You'll see us Peter live streaming our shows. Yep. All that stuff is on the Facebook live stream. So um, yeah, and if you go to the sports web on YouTube, you'll be able to see it there too. That's yep. my that's my YouTube page. So. All right. Check us out. No quarter given podcast episode five, Miami dolphins Sunday, kick the dolphins ass one o'clock yeah. Raymond James stadium. Let's get to four and one, Peter. Let's do it. Four and one go bucks. And thanks to Paul Stewart, buckpower.com podcast network. And we will see you next week. We're going to have to take this a little earlier next week, Peter. We got a Thursday nighter in Philadelphia. So we're, we're going to have the episode out a little earlier than normal. We'll have it out early in the week next week to preview the Philadelphia Eagles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers Thursday oh. night football. Oh, baby. There's so much history there. Folks, have a great week, and we will see you next time on the No Quarter Given Podcast. I'm Jason Peter Blake. See you later.
Join us again soon for another preview of a scallywag buccaneer foe when we come back with another No Quarter Given podcast. And make sure for the best in historical buck coverage, you go to buckpower.com. And as always, keep listening to the buckpower.com podcast network.